We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Monday, October 17th. The Wolves tip the season off on Wednesday. We are getting to the end of our preseason pods here. I'm joined by Chris Hine of the Star Tribune today. Chris, are you ready for the Timberwolves season? Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> it's time. Let's get, Let's get this underway. Yes. I, I feel like. Uh, you know, when you're in this every day uh, and, and covering it every day, I think I reached this point two weeks ago, but I'm really at the point where it's like, let's play some games already. Let's right. go. Yeah, I mean, and what we're going to, we'll, we'll talk today uh, with Chris about, obviously, this is our first show we've done since we did get a, a first look at Rudy and Carl playing together um, in the, the fifth and final preseason game, so Chris and I will will give some some thoughts on that, what we saw, what we heard after the game. But uh, also in the Sunday paper, Chris wrote a, a feature on Anthony Edwards kind of just going into this season. We've heard a lot about how Ant has changed his body. We've heard a lot about the idea that, you know, Ant is prime for that third year leap. Chris kind of talked to some people um, around the Wolves with Ant, also his trainer and those sort of things. So we'll just kind of we'll kind of talk about this Ant, this idea uh, of what season three can look like, what it might look like, what needs to happen to have it be the kind of best version of himself. Chris, you want to just, uh, should we just start there with Ant? What what sure. led you to, uh, one, decide this was a, a story that needed to come out uh, before the season? And what were you trying to, what were you trying to figure out going into writing this? Really just kind of hone in on what specifically he was doing that maybe has been different from his past seasons Yep. Uh, in terms of his preparation and his workout regimen and, and show people just kind of what's gone into making Ant in year three, as opposed to you know year one and year two. And, you know, the, the idea was kind of sparked when he, when he said the uh, a comment a few weeks back of, it's like, oh, oh Javar, uh, you know, the, the VP of uh, performance and sports science for the for the Timberwolves. It's like, 
Javar was bringing the weight room out in a hundred degree heat. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, he's like, man, why, why are you doing that? You know, <laughs> why, why are you bringing the weight room out here in a hundred degree heat? So it was kind of like, well, let, let's, you know, that that was basically the the genesis of it um, was to see like what exactly he was doing, and basically the the, the overall uh, premise was to make Ant uncomfortable with his off season regimen to kind of push him. Uh, to try and push his body, push his habits as well, um, kind of get him used to doing things he wasn't used to doing. He's talked about his change in diet. He was, you know, waking up at 7 a.m. as opposed to, you know, maybe a little later. Um, and really, it's 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 also about not only the workouts themselves, but also about kind of building habits necessary to be a professional um, one interesting thing that I thought his his trainer Justin Holland, you know, who's worked with him for a long time since he was a a teenager, um, you know, said that Ant could have been better at attacking his treatment last season when it came to his knees. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting um, line and, for sure. And so that was yeah, that's 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 the kind of thing that you don't really think about. It's like oh, treatment like that should that should be easy, but it it can be a time consuming thing. All of the the work and uh, rehabilitation that you need to put into maintaining um, your health throughout the course of the season, and so that's one thing that they that they've worked on him with. They have worked on strengthening his knees as well. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just I think that was I think if you're a Wolves fan, that that you should probably actually take that as encouraging. I mean, it's it's the idea is maybe discouraging that Ant wasn't really applying himself to his to his rehab of the knee issue he had last season, just kind of the product of, you know, being a kid who had not really had a serious injury before, had not really had to spend all that time, you know, on the table, get worked on all of those sort of things. So I, I think that's actually encouraging because the alternative is that there's something right, like degenerate degenerative going on in that knee that maybe this is going to pop up again in the middle of the season. I know, I get emails and questions about that sort of thing. Like, what's what is going on with ants with ants' knee? Should we be concerned about that again this season? And I think, I mean, obviously an injury could happen again to a knee of the the random nature, but I think this is encouraging that ant is applying himself more to his treatment. I think he learned that not treating anything is going to cause him to have a really poor month of the season, like he did in what was that, February last year. So yep. I yep. think this this is a signal that. Um, Ant was still growing as a professional uh, a year ago, not doing everything he needed to do. But in a lot of ways, I think it quells some concerns that this is some sort of going to be some sort of lingering thing. Because it, I mean, Chris, you remember, like, remember when we were in Sacramento last year and it was like, wait, Ant is going to play, isn't going to play. Finch is like, we don't really know what's going on. And I think it was just a product yep. of him not having gotten the necessary, not understanding what the necessary work is that he had to do on that knee. Yeah, I, I think also on that trip, didn't he come out like that was a back to back? Yeah, he come out like the second night of that back to back and say like, "My knee's fine now. Everything right. Everything's good. It feels great." <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which you know maybe he was just having a good day, you know, mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think it's it's more encouraging that you know rest, rehabilitation, working on the strength around his knee. He talked a lot about that. Uh, kind of how the workouts he was doing were to help strengthen and, and, and support his knees um, more than anything else. Um, so I think I think it's I think it's a good sign. 
like you said, that that you know they're identifying these areas where he can where he can improve uh, his his workouts, his work ethic. Yeah, I, 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 you always hear about players being hard workers, right? Like we hear, we hear all these stories about you know guys showing up in the gym at the crack of dawn and you know not leaving until you know right. the, the sun's the sun's down again or, or whatever. It, it, but it, the, the question I always have when it comes to professional athletes and the work ethic is, how are you directing said work? Right. Like, what what are you doing? How efficiently are you working? Are you working or are you just working just to say you're, quote unquote, working and can post, you know, rise and grind Instagram pics? <laughs> you know, uh, like, what, what exactly are you doing? Um, so I, I think it seemed more focused than anything else this year, maybe than it had in the past. And, and that's all designed to try and just turn him into a professional, an NBA professional when it comes to his work habits. And I'm going to be interested to see if that also carries on the court as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, that's part of this. It's like, it was about, I think, as you, you put it in the story, translating whatever it was into being stuff that works on the court this season. And anybody who's who's followed Ant over the first two years of his career has seen you know, pretty wild physical feats, um, just being as physical as he was as a 19 and 20-year-old. One area that that physicality has not translated is in his effectiveness at the rim, right? He's uh, like, he was a, shoot, I had this here, 63% at the rim, last season, which amongst wings, according to cleaning the glass is 49th percentile average. And when you look at Ant's profile skill set, there's no real reason that he, even as a 20 year old should have been, you know, functioning at an average level at the rim. So I think a lot of this work, this work on his body was designed so as to tap into these areas of his game that have remained inefficient through the first two, first two years of the season. I think obviously uh, strength goes into being able to finish stronger at the rim. Uh, he, he talked about working on his preferences in your story or, and I was there too, in, in some of the, just the scrums of going left versus right, mixing in a Euro step game, all these sort of things that one get him to have like an added bag that he can finish around the rim with. But also I think what is just extra important is just this extra strength that can get him from taking a shot at 15 feet and getting it to six feet. So much of his game settled around the rim, right? And he didn't even get all the way to the rim. He was a 33% shooter from mid-range last season, which is just kind of insane when you look at it compared to three-point range where he shot 36%. So it's there are these inefficiencies in Ant's game. The question is, when you're working with your trainer, when you're working with your coaching staff, what are you doing to be able to tap into these things? And I think it was a very, it sounds like from your story that these things were very targeted in the off season um, to improve specifically statistically. I, I think so, especially as it pertains to going around the basket. And, and some of that too is, uh, you know, probably more for his mental uh, comfort when it comes to that stuff. Because we've heard, we've heard Ant talk uh, before about, just how tiring it can be to yeah. constantly be attacking the rim. Sure. And that's, that's strength and conditioning too. So just, just being in the kind of shape 
to where just mentally you can keep going to the basket and you're not feeling tired, um, that you're going to want to keep attacking and not settling for a 16 foot jump shot. That's inefficient for you to take. So it, it, it all, it's all part of it. The physical aspect of it, the mental aspect of it, it all comes together. Um, and yeah, you know, it was, I hadn't looked up his mid range, uh, statistics before we were talking to him the other day about you know mm-hmm. just kind of how he feels about his shot mix and then when i looked it up i was like oh he was kind of worse at the mid-range than i thought he was yeah i thought he i thought he was going to be in the 40s like maybe the low 40s or something mm-hmm. like that um but yeah he has, his mid-range percentage was worse than his three-point percentage last season which is a very a very telling statistic and i feel like you you, you can just go to him and say look you're better at shooting the shot that is one point more than you are at this shot. <laughs> right. Like, I feel like that's very easy math to comprehend. Um, but there's a comfort level in the mid range, I think, because you can just get that shot at any point in time. And, you know, it's, it's, I want to say the mid range is, it, we heard Chris Finch talk about this where it's almost like an ego thing sometimes with guys. Yeah. Actually, Chris, like, let me, uh, the mid range game. Go ahead. Let me uh, let me play that that clip. I thought this was this was really interesting from Finch on on Ant in the mid range, and this is actually Chris asking Chris Finch about it. So here's here's Finch on Ant. Uh, we were talking to Ant earlier today, and and we were talking about his shot selection, shot mix, and he goes, you know, Finch he doesn't like the mid ranges, but he's trying to sneak some in. Uh, yeah. How have you tried to strike a balance with him and what he's comfortable with, and and what? you guys want him to take when it comes to his shot mix? Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, that mid-range has its place in the game for sure. Um, it's not a zero-tolerance thing. Um, but when you're really, really good at something, um, I want you to do more of that. And, you know, he, the mid-range for him is super inconsistent. Uh, I think he lets defenders off the hook way too much by using it. Um, and, you know, I think... Um, him attacking is what makes him special. He's got a burst and uh, explosion and ability that not a lot of players have. Um, and the message since I got here was like, let's just keep trending him to doing the things that he's really, really good at. Uh, and initially it was he didn't really even know. Um, you know, now, uh, you know, the mid-range the mid range has become like this bravado thing that everybody wants to do. And I think it has to do with the fact that it's like all those shots are created almost exa- uh, entirely by the person who shoots it. Um, so there's some like swag to that, if you will. Uh, and I'm fine. I get it and I'm cool, but like, you know, a lot of them are tough and they're contested. And the only take, the only reason you're taking a mid range is because there's someone standing be- between you and the basket. I mean, for sure, you know, I mean, listen, like, there are guys who are, you know, when you look at the numbers uh, by the standard of what a mid-range shot is, are elite at it. Um, I just wouldn't put Anthony in that category. That's a that's a pretty strong answer there, Chris, from uh, from yeah, Finch. And, and one, I just, just as an aside, I this is not like at all, I don't know, some people would label this as like calling out a player. This is like frequently the tone in which Finch talks about Ant specifically. And I think it comes from this area of he really isn't condemning Ant. He, he said it in there. It's 
Ant doesn't even really know these things yet about his game. He's kind of just like learning on the fly. And so it's not necessarily an indictment from Ant that he, you know, he shot 18% of his shots from mid-range, nearly a fifth of his shots that he made at a 33% clip, which is just a really poor. It's the 20th percentile um, quality uh, compared to other players who are taking mid-range shots. So even of an inefficient shot, he's taking it worse than most other people. And Finch isn't the type of coach who's going to be like, he's not like, it's not this black and white thing like Houston, like James Harden, like rim at the rim or threes. There's a place for it. But Ant needs to re- have some re- realization around these numbers that until you boost that number up a lot, like we are going to prioritize you taking different shots than you currently are. It, it, it actually is, I think, is a very healthy push, not black and white, because Ant doesn't want it to be black and white. He wants those shots. But, it, but at the same time, he hasn't done anything to prove that those are the shots that he should be taking at the volume that he's been taking them. Right, and that's that's you know that's basically the tone we hear Chris Finch talking with a lot, and mm-hmm. and you know I agree with you. It's not calling out a player; it's just talking constructively. I think, yep, about you know where where this player can can really improve, and it's one reason why I think you know Finch can be a, a very good interview subject uh, at times because he is willing to 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 kind of walk down a path with you and you know that that little that little exchange is also a little peek at the curtain about about, <laughs> about how this job gets done too right. you know in, in in these kind of settings um when you're asking these guys questions like that um yeah i think the, i think the big takeaway is you, you listen the wolves have you know some of the most analytically minded people in the nba in their front office but yet they're not going to anthony edwards and saying you cannot take shots from this part on the floor. You, the, this this part of the floor, no. And if you do, we're going to bend. Like, they're not doing that, right? They don't have the like, shot value trying. stickers on the floor anymore. <laughs> right, right. Those stickers aren't on the floor anymore. Um, but they're not going to him and saying, you cannot shoot here ever, ever, ever. Um, they are trying to, to work with him to just get him in that in that right direction. Get him... Whether it be realizing that the mid range is, is an inefficient shot, reducing it, trying to convince him to get to the bucket more, like it's you know, Ant, Ant seems a little resistant to want to fighting. We, we we heard him in his in his comments too, say like I still like mid range shots. You know, Finchie doesn't like me taking them, but I still kind of like to take them. And you know, it's will they be able to lessen? the extent to which he takes it this year will be something worth monitoring. hundred percent. Um, just, just curious after you've spent some, frankly, more time than I have, uh, thinking about Ant and, and what happened that this summer in his, in his workout and how that's going to transition or translate onto the floor. Like what is your sense or guess, I guess about, how immediately we see a difference in his game on, you know, on Wednesday in these first two weeks, do you think Ant's game will look significantly different than the the end of last season? I tend to not think so, at least right away. And and part of that is, you know, also the other part of what this, what we're going to get into, who knows what the chemistry of this team is going to look like when, when they take the floor Wednesday, yep. uh, the early returns on Friday were, 
underwhelming, <laughs> to, to put it mildly, um, on the offensive end of the floor. Um, so, you know, part of that is just going to be what's what's going on around them, too. So I think I think it, it's going to maybe take a little bit of time because, you know, what happens when the team is struggling to generate movement, uh, you know, ball movement is stagnant, you know, stuff really isn't running smoothly. You know, I could see a, a world where Ant just tries to go hero ball and takes takes a bunch of mid-range shots or a bunch of step back threes or or things like that just to try and get going when those maybe aren't the best shots so i could see a world where that happens yeah early in in the season it's almost like now the construction of this roster is gonna almost save him from himself in that way a little bit right like he he averaged 21 points a game last year i i think there's a world where ant has a good year um you know steps on top of and grows on top of the things that he worked on this summer and that number doesn't necessarily go up I think that's one of my biggest takeaways from that that fifth uh preseason game that we saw Townsend Gobert out there with him is like there really is going there there really is a finite amount of shots and usage available on this team and I think the preseason hints at the idea that maybe Rudy's usage on this team is going to be a little bit higher than we might have thought in in July. Obviously you have Carl in the mix as a really as a player who should be really really high volume offensively. D'Angelo is going to be that way as well. Jaden is growing offensively like I'm not sure the piece of the pie is going to get any bigger compared to last season for Anthony. So the question for him ultimately is okay, same size of pie, can we make this pie 10% better? And I think that was the goal uh, of of this offseason. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see if and where there is any friction of people wanting to take more outsized roles as the year goes on. But early on, as they're figuring this out, I think there's going to just need to be a lot of sharing. And for Ant, um, that's just going to require, um, you know, just some a little bit more discernment, I guess. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
we're gonna have to see. Like, let's let's talk a little bit about that fifth and final preseason yeah. game. As you said, like definitely underwhelming. Anybody who watched that would, I mean, it, depending on your skepticism, I guess is like, okay, this is a disaster or glass half full, which is probably more the reality is that these guys just clearly have not played together yet. And of course they hadn't played together in a game at all, but Carl told us before that game, that shoot around that day was pretty much the first time that him and Rudy had been able to practice together physically, you know, like where Carl was going through a contact practice and, and that lack of time they've all spent on the floor together, like, really stood out i thought in that first that first game on friday night 100 percent, and and you could just see it in the way that they were trying to communicate with each other they're you know trying to get guys in the right spots on both ends of the floor um like it was it was very much it was almost like watching their first practice <laughs> yeah, in a lot totally, of ways yeah. you know it was it, it was yeah just choppy um you know the offense, as we were talking about afterwards, was just pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, because that was the only, that was the only thing that you could easily just snap into really quickly. Yeah, and it was like late pick and roll, right? Like late it, pick and rolls. Yep, yep, yep. Because I'm actually, it, it was weird. I, I thought as we're going through this the post game press conference, and you know Finch comes up first, and he starts talking about how it was too much pick and roll, which for me was weird because I'm sitting there watching this game and being like. Are they going to ever use Rudy in pick and roll? Like, are we just going to come down the floor? Rudy's going to be under the basket, rise up for a high pick and roll. Like, let's just run offense off of there. There was not a lot of that in in that first or that first preseason game that they all played in together. I think what Finch was talking about is later in the action, kind of once things broke down and we got like seven seconds left on the shot clock, you know, right. D'Lo waves for Rudy. It's like, okay, come over here. It's kind of like break glass in case of emergency. I think it's very important that this team is pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. It's just kind of more about the timing of when that pick and roll happens. And then as a group growing in their comfort of playing a lot of pick and roll, because this was not a team that did play a lot of pick and roll uh, last season. I feel like I've just said pick and roll like 14 times, but I, I, I think say, it's an important thing. Pick, if there's a pick and roll drinking game among your <laughs> listeners right now, people, people just got very drunk in the last <laughs> minute. Yes, definitely. I, I just uh, there's just there's just going to be a lot that that they need to they need to work out there. I do kind of like fall back on what we were talking about before. Like, just come on, this is a really talented offensive group. Finch just said it was going to be clunky. It was clunky, um, but they're you know I think it's it's pretty clearly something that that comes together over time. I I went into the cap moving to the four thing as. Like a, like a couple months ago, not super concerned about it. I thought we saw Carl play out on the perimeter better last season, um, even even as a as a center. Uh, but you know, watching that watching that first game, I, I do have some more concerns defensively about Towns and Gobert, how they're going to play, how Carl is going to fit in defensively. Because as Gobert said after the game. You know, for Carl, it's just about knowing a little bit more where to be. He's not a bad defender. It's particularly now with Rudy in the mix. Carl kind of has to be a little bit more cognizant of where he needs to be and what he needs to be there. And along those lines, Finch did have a comment yesterday um, that Carl needs to fight his more center 
ish tendencies to always want to collapse in the paint. Yeah. Um, that that's one that's maybe that's what Rudy was getting at the other night too, is, you know, you don't all, you don't have to be coming into the, into the paint anymore. Like I got this now, you know, you, it's important that Carl maybe stay more along the perimeter and make sure that, you know, guys are covered for perimeter shots sure, um, and things like that. So I think maybe that's what they're getting at is that Carl now as the power forward in these scenarios has to fight his center tendencies to want to help protect more at the rim. And it's going to be interesting to see how this dynamic plays out when Rudy's off the floor, you know, it's going to be a lot to put on Carl. Cause it's like, all right, well now Carl, you're the center. What are, you know, are they, are they going to continue playing drop? Are they going to mm-hmm. go back to the high wall when he's, when he's out there? How exactly are they going to play it? And how does Carl adjust to what he has to do defensively based on whether Rudy's on the floor or not? Yeah, you know what is really interesting to me about that idea of, and I think it's human nature for Carl to be gravitating more to the rim. He's played six seasons in the NBA, um, probably 98% of those minutes as a as a center. So you do have that human nature instinct to to kind of go to the basket, like lean more towards the basket. It really reminds me a lot of um, Rudy Gobert and the Jazz in the playoffs last year when when the Clippers just spaced them all out. And Rudy kind of had to fight that same thing, right? When a team plays yeah. five out, your center kind of becomes a power forward, like Rudy kind of did, right? You just have to care a little bit more about the perimeter if it's five players who can shoot. And I think if there is there is one thing to rip Rudy on from, from the playoffs defensively a year ago or the, these past two years is he did lean in on that instinct to come in closer to the basket and and you know and clean things up around the rim as he does. And that left just maybe an extra step of space that leads to, um, you know, Terrence Mann hitting seven threes in the corner because that's who that's who Gobert is, you know, quote unquote, guarding there. So I think it's just funny that that Rudy has also had to fight and probably will have to fight that instinct again in the playoffs. And it's that same instinct that Carl is going to need to work on to be able to be a successful power forward in the regular season um this year this is these are just these are just the questions the issues that come up when you when you switch the the style of play you're playing by making your best player now play a different position so i'm i'm adjusting my perspective a little bit that you know this this is a pretty big ask for carl not something i don't think he can do um i think reps are going to be huge game reps specifically are going to be huge to to be able to fit this through but it is that conundrum of like you're a big dude and your responsibilities are now more tied to the perimeter far more than they ever have before. And this is this is something that Finch also said yesterday was, you know, this defense is not just okay, we're plugging Rudy Gobert in here, everything's gonna be fine. Like <laughs> it not, not only does it adjust the responsibilities for Carl, but it adjusts the responsibilities for everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know guards have to defend differently now um what that what they're asked to do is is different than what they were doing a year ago so it's it's not just insert rudy gobert and let it be you know just let it fester but everything is different and you know we saw last year this this team Took it took a while to get them clicking, you know. Last year, totally. Uh, this could this could very well be the process again this year, where maybe it takes a month 
mm-hmm. for for this team to really get on the same page. Maybe it takes longer. Maybe it takes shorter. I don't know. Um, but you know, the the one thing that I would caution fans on, you know, the overreactive social media is remember last year that this team did not start well at all, um, and they did pick it up and get better as the season went along. Um, it's easy to forget just how bad the start to the season was last year. It was pretty bad. Well, and Chris, so much of that had to do with them playing a completely new defense at the beginning of last season, yep. right? And it was yep. blitzing Carl out to the perimeter there, and that is was different for Patrick Beverly, for Jared Vanderbilt, for D'Angelo Russell, whoever might have been, Anthony Edwards, whoever might have been guarding on the perimeter, like, they hadn't really ever played in that concept before, yet they go a whole season of playing that way. And they, like Carl, have developed these sort of habits when, when you're on the ball. I mean, you just think about that. When, when Carl raises up there and was in the high wall, if you're D'Angelo on the ball, like Carl's kind of there to, in theory, if he's doing it right, to just stop it. So D'Lo's work kind of stops, too. He just needs to get to the screen. Carl's there. It's almost kind of like a trap. What switches now that it's Gobert is, say, D'Angelo's on the ball again. D'Angelo's job is to go all the way over that screen and start filtering the ball handler into Rudy. That's a different right. job than what he was asked to do. And quite frankly, it's a it's a harder job or it's a job that takes more energy because now it doesn't stop at the screen. You got to take you got to get around the screen physically and kind of hustle to have that rear view contest, as they call it, to push him into Gobert. And now that's kind of like in the weeds, X's nose, but we didn't see that happening hardly at all in in that pre in that final preseason game. And I don't think that means D'Angelo can't do it. I don't think that means Ant can't do it. I think once you get out on the floor and everything starts going fast, this again human nature, you fall back into your previous tendencies. That's something they're going to have to fight. And quite frankly, I think might lead to a little bit of a different rotation early on in the season of playing players on the perimeter who can and are willing to do that, right? And is that Austin Rivers? You know, that's a little bit deeper down there. Or is yeah. it or is it just, you know, even some of the other guys a little bit higher on the pecking order? What is what is Ant's ability to do? How's Jaden doing that without fouling? Can J Mac do that? Can Jalen like I think that might adjust the slider on minutes, if you will, in the sort of first 15 15 games of the season because we know Rudy's going to play. We know that's the new concept. And for everybody else, that's the real change in the game. So I'll just be keeping my my eye on that in the way they adjust to playing defense in a different way with Rudy Gobert this season compared to last year because it's fresh. It's it's new and it's something they haven't practiced a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. I had thought about how it would affects kind of the the down bench guys mm-hmm. um maybe maybe you're right maybe maybe it does lead to more defensive minded lineups when when at least early in the season and especially with rudy on the floor I, i'm still intrigued as to what is that going to look like those minutes that rudy's not on the floor how what are they going to do are they going to play a completely different style of defense in that whatever it is, 12 to 15 minutes a night that Rudy's not on the floor. Is it a different, altogether different style? Or is it is it going to be more just drop and, and rearview contest and, and all that stuff? I, you I know, know, we've yeah. heard them say that we've heard them say that they want to do multiple uh, coverages. But, 
in practice, is it going to actually work? Yeah, um, they've also said it's really hard to be able to do right. multiple coverages, right? Right, and, and just and just think about what we what we've been talking about, just the habits that you develop, like to to mm-hmm. to flip your mind over from one set of things for thirty five, thirty six minutes a night mm-hmm. to a completely different set of of standards and and principles for another twelve to fifteen or whatever it is. Right, um, you know. It's almost like, well, can we just get by playing those 12 to 15 minutes doing what we do the other 36? See, that's um, what I think know. might kind of happen early on in the year is to keep it, yeah, you know, just keep it a little bit simpler. Um, what, what we saw in the game that Rudy didn't play that Carl did was pretty clearly very and very intentionally. They um, they went drop all in the first half. When it was uh, when it was Nas and Carl both out there starting at the four and five, and then I think intentionally in the second half they started Kyle Anderson and and Cat together, and that and that's where they then played drop. So I think it's fair to say they're still trying to put. They have been in preseason and try to put stuff down on film of like, hey, with this new group, and when it's just Carl out there, what does this even look like? What is the quality of high wall versus drop, or just I mean, and it's not all as specific as all to pick and roll but but what sort of energy do we want to put into the defense when Rudy is off the floor and I think they're just still figuring that out and figuring things out normally does isn't smooth right away the word Finch is used over and over again is it's going to be a little bit clunky at the beginning of the year and I think part of that clunkiness comes from just not knowing what is best to run or not to run with the group. You just got to kind of see it for a while. And unfortunately they haven't been able to see it in preseason. And this is where the the schedule does them some favors where we know how Mm -hmm. generally easy the schedule is to kick off the season. A lot of home games. Um, I actually think the home games can work uh, in a different way. You know, we, we assume that home games mean, mean, you know, a little bit of an advantage, we we know how weird and tense the atmosphere inside Target Center can get when things aren't going well, right? Right. Like I, I I'm all, I'm picturing a, a a scenario where like let's say this team just isn't clicking early on, right? Like and they have to play a lot of home games in front of a, a crowd that's like, what's going on here? Like why isn't this working? You know, I could I could also see a scenario where where things can get really tense really quickly. Uh, early in the season, if they're not winning some of these earlier games, or if they get upset by San Antonio at home uh, or something like that, right? Um, so, so I, I actually think that the as they're getting used to this, the the, the schedule, yes, it's it's favorable, but if, if they don't take advantage of, of the favorable schedule, I think it could lead to a little more consternation and angst than maybe you would have if you were trying to figure this out against you know higher tier opponents yeah I, I think one reason like obviously we know it's an easy start to the season one reason i was yeah. encouraged by the start of the season if you just look at the first three games was okc utah okc and we went in we're going under the idea that shea gilders alexander was going to miss those two of those first three games so i looked at okc utah and okc as being like those aren't teams with multiple dynamic attackers, right? If SGA's out, it's pretty much Josh Giddy. And yeah. and the Wolves, you know, put Jaden on him. Like, check, you're, you know, you're gonna be able to hold that in in place. 
But now, as it came out, I think on Sunday, it sounds like SGA is going to play in uh, in the opener and obviously then in the third game as well. So now that changes the dynamic. If you're the Wolves a little bit more, you have Giddy and you have SGA out there that you can't put Jaden on both of them, right? Now, now we start relying right. on Ant, probably D'Lo maybe on SGA or on one of them. Um, and and that, that just changes the dynamic a little bit more. I think a lot of people myself included, are going to look at that Thunder matchup and be like, oh my God, the Wolves are just so much bigger than them. They're just going to you know, pound them with physicality. Well, with SGA in the mix, there's a little bit more of a balancing there. Should the Wolves still win both of those games? Of course. I'm just moving the needle down a little bit of like, this is super simple at the beginning of the year because even though OKC doesn't have a front court, they should have two dynamic ball handlers and what the Wolves lost in the trade is Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt, two of their best perimeter defenders, right? So you just don't have right. necessarily the bodies to put put on them as much. So that's just one thing I wanted to, to throw in there, and I think it ties into what we were talking about, about this defense. The defensive task for the, for the season opener has gotten harder, obviously, with SGA, but it particularly pokes at this sort of pick and roll question that we have with this team. That's what, that's what they're going to run with SGA a lot. So um, it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be really interesting to just yep. see this all out on the floor, quell our concerns, highlight maybe some other concerns. Um, but we just got to see it, right? We just got to see it out. There. We just got to see it. Let's let's again, let's play some games already and let's let's get this rolling. Where every other night we're, we're getting answers to all these questions we've thought about for months and months. So uh, absolutely. I'm ready. I'm ready to let, let's do it. Let's do it. And then uh, just one thing I want to plug here before we say uh, bye to Chris here mm-hmm. is that if you are listening to this on on Monday, that John Krasinski and myself will be at uh, Forgotten Star Brewing tonight, Monday night at uh, at 630. Um, we're going to try and just move through. Chris and I basically only hit on like two topics here on this. John and I are going to kind of try and rapid fire through a bunch of different things that we're looking at um, in into this season. We're going to take listener questions. So come out to Forgotten Star for that uh, this evening, check out the live show, and then if you know if you're out of state or can't come to it, uh, that will be the, the that will be tomorrow's episode here on on the feed as well. Like Chris said, you know we're just we're gathering a lot of information, we're getting all our thoughts out there, all our takes um, that will look probably stupid in in a couple of weeks. But John and I will be doing that at Forgotten Star again tonight, Monday, uh, October seventeenth. So come uh, so come check that out, Chris. I. Uh, Appreciate you doing this. Next time we talk next Monday, we will have actual basketball uh, to talk about. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have that. Very much looking forward to that as well. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Reed, obviously, Chris, is he, he wrote that Anthony Edwards feature that we were talking about. You can see that uh, on the Star Tribune right now. Obviously, there will be, I'm sure, a whole litany of Chris Hines yes, stories. <laughs> we have we have more stuff coming over the next few days for sure. Awesome. Well worth Well worth the subscription. Yes, sir. StarTribune.com. Um, actually, I mine, mine just like expired. I realized when I was trying to read your story. So I, I signed back up. You can get four weeks online for, for 99 cents. So, so check that out at StarTribune. So you can be following everything Chris does this season. Uh, follow him as well on Twitter at Christopher Hine. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. Until tonight with John. Uh, peace.
Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.